Hi, I'm uh, Scott Elam. I am the owner operator of Infinity Lawn and Landscaping, and uh, we specialize in outdoor living spaces and landscape design. Um, I am a hardscaper. What's happening, hardscapers? This is episode 206 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And on today's episode, we have another I Am a Hardscaper interview where we bring on a hardscape business owner and do a deep dive into their business. And today we've got Scott from Infinity Lawn and Landscaping on the show. And before we get into that interview, we want to thank our sponsors, GPS Track It. If you need GPS tracking for your work vehicle's equipment, reach out to GPS Track it at gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape and our sponsor cycle cpa if you need bookkeeping accounting cfo services reach out to cycle cpa let them know how to hardscape sent you for 200 off their services there we'll be talking more about those sponsors later in today's episode but without further ado let's get into our interview with scott all right scott let's get to know a little bit about you yourself how you got started in the industry can you give our audience a little bit of context of as to how you got your beginnings into starting yeah um so it was 2007 i was in college and um i was coming home on the weekends to to work and pay for college so i i set, set up my schedule at college to do uh classes monday through thursday and then I would come home Thursday night and I would work Friday, Saturday, Sunday and go back to school Sunday night. So um, started making some decent money and had to start a business because I had never had a job and I was paying for college and paying for truck and, you know, making a living in a way, if you say. But uh, so I started Infinity and um, graduated with a business degree in 2008 and had no offers, went to job interviews for two years. Didn't really have anything promising. I mean, cold calling for insurance companies was an offer. It's just like things I didn't want to do. And in, in, while I was going through all that stuff, I just kept doing landscaping and hardscaping and um, just, just starting to touch on hardscaping back then. And uh, mainly just like maintenance stuff. And as it grew, uh, I got to the point probably 2010 when I landed my first like patio project. So it was about two years after college and I liked it. I went, I went, this is exciting. The customer was extremely happy. It was, it wasn't maintenance work, um, made more money with it and decided, Hey, I'm going to give this a shot. So about 2010, 2011, I really started to try to build infinity, um, and get to a different, a different, uh, market and move into the hardscaping. So that's kind of how the hardscaping all started. And it just was like a family friend project. Then it went to that person had a friend and, and it built that way. So we got, um, I want to say maybe two or three projects the first year and then doubled it next year and doubled the next year and just kept growing. So, and it's as that business grew the maintenance side in the um, just bush trimmings, like mulching, all that stuff kind of, kind of dropped off and I was okay with that because I enjoyed the hardscaping more. I enjoyed the outdoor living spaces. I, and it's just, as we started, it started with a simple patio and it grew to, you know, a living space, kitchens, pergolas, roof structures, fire pits, um, all that kind of stuff. So it just kind of, I wasn't even really expecting it, but it just happened. And you do the good jobs, you do good work and it builds today nowadays do you still do like the lawn uh landscaping side or are you like full into hardscape at this point so we have we had um three divisions or three crews of, of maintenance and i've dropped it down to it's almost one now um i wouldn't even say a full one but we've transitioned into mostly hardscapes and in in install landscape design and install um, we just tried to get out of that, that industry. It's, it's cutthroat, it's low margins. It's a lot of, um, you know, breakdowns, overheads, customers, weather, dealing with weather. It, it was just something I had to get out of it. And it was a hard move to make because it's something you're comfortable in and you've been in it for, it's how you started and you're going, but I have to know my value. I have to know what I'm good at. And I have to know, um, what my time's worth and in, in knowing your numbers. And it was like getting 
that transition over to where the business really started taking off. With your business degree, do you find that you're able to pull things from your business degree to help you with growing your business? Uh, and was it helpful at, at any point in time in growing your business? Some of it, but honestly, when people ask, I, I tell them I learned more running the business than I ever did in college. Like, yeah, I, I took entrepreneurship class. I took um, inner organizational management classes. I took you know, nation, like just, just things that I, I have never used. And it's like, yeah, it, it teaches you to learn at a different level, but running a business yourself, I've learned more doing that um, than actually sitting in class any day. And yeah, it, it's nice to have a college degree. It's it, I, I encourage people to do it. It's, but if you want to really know how a business runs, you got to get in there and do it. And, and maybe that's just me, but I'm more hands-on type of person. I, I don't learn from books very well. Like I can read things, but it's like once I've done it, once I get my hands on it, kind of kind of like the hardscape stuff. Once you get in there and you've done it, you know um, how to do it. You know how to do it more efficiently. You know what's in, involved in it. And you just, you know it then. It, it gets almost set in stone in your brain in a way. At what point did you uh, become really serious about building the business? Because you mentioned in 2008, you're looking for work uh, and obviously probably a rough time to be looking for work with where the economy was at back then. Um, But at what point in time do you like go full? What was the catalyst for you to like go full into infinity as opposed to looking for work while doing infinity? It was probably, it was a retaining wall project we did. And I was doing it and I had, I had a, an electric brick saw from my grandpa that was probably built in the seventies. And I just sat there. It was like all day just cutting bricks and, and building these walls. And those walls are still standing today as the first like retaining wall I did. And I just enjoyed it. And I was, I was sitting there and I got a call from a, um, it was an insurance company and they just said, we want you to come in our call center and just make calls. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I was sitting outside birds chirping, sunny day, building something with my hands. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to give this a shot. And it was at that point, it was like, uh, my brother was actually, my brother was working for the landscape supply yard in the area. And then he was working at um, uh, AutoZone and he would help, he would help me on the side and, um, he came into it and I made him a partner with me on it. And um, we just decided we're going to do this because those, I mean, those jobs in 2010, it's like, I remember going to, to interviews with for business degrees and people with MBAs are interviewing for entry level jobs. And I just, I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to take my, I'm going to make my own, you know, future with this. And uh, we, him and I just decided we're going to, we're going to give this a shot and go full force and, and go on it. And, and I remember it was almost like a month later, I landed a patio job with retaining walls, steps, and a, a fireplace. And it was the first fireplace. I used a Unilock element fireplace. No idea what I was doing. I remember uh, I just read read stuff on it. I talked to our, our reps. I talked to the, you know, the local supply yard. And um, we did it. And I remember the, the village inspector came and he goes, you guys know what you're doing here. He's like, this is nice. I have no, no complaints. Everything looks perfect. You guys are good. And I remember he gave us the approval on the base, the foundation, the gas lines, everything. And um, so we just decided, you know, this is what we're going to do. And uh, obviously, no, no lucky back. You uh, don't regret anything to where Infinity is now. No, I just um, I mean, I wish I knew certain things way back then. I would have I would have done things differently. But I think that's everybody. Yeah. Uh, Your 2010 project, is that like, uh, is that the building block to bring in more of those hardscaping projects that you are doing nowadays? And from 2010 to where you are now, have you seen a a difference in the uh, type of client that are actually reaching out to Infinity from that 2010 project? Yeah, um, the 2010 project, like I said, it was smaller. like that first one I was doing with the retaining walls. And then it went to that, that bigger job in that bigger job. He posted stuff on Google. Uh, and it was the first time a customer posted anything on our stuff. And I was, I was like, wow, this is, this is exciting. And we got another fireplace from it. Um, 
and just, it just built and it's just word of mouth that that's, that's how our business has been built is, is through word of mouth, doing the jobs, right. Talking to customers, um, their friends showing up, showing them what we did, like little details. I remember I did one project. It must've been two years later and the customer showed up or I showed up at the job and the customer looks at me and goes, Hey, this step was built yesterday. And now it's torn apart. And I was like, yeah, I stopped by last night. Um, cause I had to run to an appointment and the guys had made some cuts that I didn't like. And I, I came back and I went, I don't like it. And, uh, he, so I pull, I had the guys pull all of it up, redo the cuts on the steps. And then it was like, I want to say six, six, seven months later or so the customer had called me and he goes, I had a, uh, a Mason stop by and he was one of my friends. He said, and he looked at the patios and he, and he was just amazed at the cuts the detail, all that stuff. And he's like, I never would have noticed. And I, and I told my well, that's, that's what the goal is, is maybe the customer didn't notice those things. But when you have a friend or a family member, or someone that stops by and knows stuff and knows what to look at, and they're impressed with it, that's what makes a difference. And that's what makes them talk. And it just, that's how, like I said, our, our business has been built that way, is customers just talking and referring us and, and it's in the details. Right. So nowadays in your business, what are you uh, specifically doing? Are you still in the field quite a bit? Uh, what What's your job roles, I guess, within the business? So I am, I like to be in the field, but the guys, the guys don't like me there. They said <laughs> I make them nervous because I pick, I nitpick everything. I'm like, what's in there? Like leave, get out of here. So I, I mainly run the business. I do sales. I do the designs and I like to do it because, because of the the background of me building these things it allows me to, when I'm designing, I go, I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I'm not just throwing these things together and going, Hey guys, figure this out later. Um, everything's very detailed. The guys know when they get my, my prints, they know how to build things. They know how things are going. They know where to put things. And I, I don't, I don't design things that are, I don't know how to say this in a way. Um, where, you, where the guys are sitting there for hours going, this looks cool, but it, it's not going to work. Like I, I come to some projects or I talk to people and they go, this is what we're going to do. And I just, I, I go like initial consultations with people. And I, they're like, someone told me you can do this. And I'm like, well, you can't. And I, I, I'm like, call anybody that, um, you know, call Unilock rep, call Tackle Block, Bellegarde, whoever you're using. I'm like, call them, talk to them, get more information, but, I'm like, I'm telling you, this can't be done this way. And you just try to educate people. And some, some take that and they enjoy it. Some are tell me I'm wrong. And I, and I just say, okay, I'm like, I just give you the information. And, and I, I tell them, I'm like, if you want to go with somebody else, go with somebody else. And if you got questions, you can always call me and I'll answer them. And I'll tell you, this guy's doing it right. This is wrong. And, and I mean, we're, we're booked out six, eight months sometimes. And some people want it done right away. I go, I understand if somebody I can get here in two weeks, but ask him why he can get here in two weeks. And if you're comfortable with it and you got questions, just give me a call. Uh, so with that being said, and you're mostly out of the field now, how do you keep the quality that you expect uh, without you being in the field? How do you get buy-in from your employees to see the vision that you have, as well as to keep up the quality standard that you have set within your business? So I show up on jobs daily and I still do that. I, if I'm running around and I'm in the area, I stop by or I make a point to, um, I have meetings in the mornings with the crews and the foreman and we go over what we've done. Um, I, I, I'll be honest, I'll be, I'm a little late bloomer to Instagram, but I started doing that about a year and a half ago. And um, I'll show up, I'll check on projects, I'll give, I'll do like stories and I'll try to get customers updates. But those are the nice things of when I'm there on the jobs, I can, I can check things and keep the quality, quality up. And I do have um, my foreman that runs it all. He's been with me for about 2014, I think I hired him and he worked with me and my brother on every project. And it got to the point where his quality was similar to mine. So he would, I would notice him picking things out and he's still like, if he's got a question, he'll call me and he'll video chat with me and he'll say, Hey, this, this is what we find. This is what we're seeing. I think I want to change it to this. What do you think? And so just having that guy that's on site that knows, Hey, you can't cut corners here. If, if, if you see something, 
you need to change it or bring it to my attention or um, make sure it's getting done right is what I tell them. And I'm like, at the end of the day, yeah, there's jobs I lost money on, but it, it was done right. And that has a, you know, a ripple effect on the rest of your business. So yeah, quality control. There's some days I'm losing my mind because I'm busy in the office and busy with designs and customers. And I'm like, I didn't make it out to the job. And I'm like, what did they get done? So if it's like, even at the end of the day, six o'clock or something, and I'm can drive by it and just look, I do. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of the things you have to have the right people. So talking about people, uh, you've had your foreman since 2014. Where, how, how do you feel um, you have been able to retain an employee like that for so long uh, with Infinity? What, what are the reasons why, you know, somebody should stick with Infinity as an employee uh, for as long as they have there as your foreman has? Um, where do they get the buy-in in, in Infinity? What kind of, uh, w- any notes or anything on that? So we have, um, most all of our guys have been with us for years and, and every once in a while we'll, we'll pick up a new one um, or we might lose one, we, but that's just the industry. Um, but the, the good key guys we have, respect is the big thing. It, treating them right. Um, we invest a lot in equipment and making sure they have what they need to get the jobs done. I mean, yeah, when we started, it was all wheelbarrows and, in ramps, pushing them up into trucks. I remember our first dump truck we bought was beat up and old. And, and, you know, I, I, I didn't know how I could afford it. And yeah, it was exciting. It was, a, it was a 99 F550. It was manual. It was, I, I think I paid 16 grand for the thing. And um, I think I bought that around 2013 or, or 14, somewhere in the same time my guy started because he, I remember we were, we were running wheelbarrows up in the trucks and now we, we've we got skid steers, we've got excavators, we got an Encon last year that we added to the fleet. We have um, itch, which is, I mean, getting the right equipment keeps the right people, but you also got to treat them right. Um, we have incentive, like all our jobs are based on hours and we have incentives if they get them done on time and on schedule and bonuses. Um, yeah, there's just there's a lot of things. These guys, the biggest thing is they want respect. They want to not be micromanaged. They want, um, they just want to feel like it, they're part of something. And and I think we we create a culture like we have. Yeah, we have uh, cookouts a couple times a year where I, I buy all the food and we just come back to the, the shop early one day and and everyone just hangs out. And, and you can kind of tell like there's there's been a couple guys that are a little loners and you tell it, as those events are going on, you're like, OK, I don't think they're going to make it. And it's it's almost like the groups that are always you build a culture in your business. And, th- and those guys that are all sticking together, they're always here and they're 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 counting on you if they need help, you help them. If uh, they got like, there's times they have an issue with family and they need to borrow some money and you go, Hey, they're like, I'm going to go to the bank. And and I'm like, no, no, come to me. I'll help you out. Um, And then you just, just pay me back whenever you can. And it's probably something that's not normal, but I think that goes a long way. I want to interrupt this episode to talk to you about GPS track it. When it comes to running a landscaping business, the question isn't what do you do, but what don't you do? If it's not a customer that needs your attention, it's one of your drivers or one of your vehicles. But you already know that GPS Track It exists to help you know more than what you already know, like the most efficient routes to maximize your service potential, like whether or not your vehicles and crews are where they're supposed to be like how to save unnecessary fuel costs and other costs. And we're going to be covering the benefits of GPS tracking in the future on this podcast. So we're going to continue with the benefits of GPS tracking, but we'll let our fleet advisors give you the full picture. Call 866-693-1291 or go to gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape. Once again, that's 866-693-1291 or go to gpstrackit.com slash howtohardscape. Link will be in the show notes. 
you also mentioned that bonus structure. So I, I want to ask, is there anything unique to your bonus structure? Or are you measuring, you know, hours um, projected for the project versus what the actual hours are and divvying up some sort of uh, like labor dollar amount or total revenue amount from that project, like a percentage of one of those and divvying up uh, differently based on foreman labor position? Yeah. So what we do is we use LMN is our software and it's, it's all based on hours. I, I started using that in about 2015 and it, that was a game changer for us. Um, everything was on Excel spreadsheets and, you know, I was slow to recover my overhead. And, but what I, what I realized with that is you, your overhead is set on the job. So as long as they hit those hours on the job, say it's a hundred hour job and they do it in 90, well, 10 of those hours, I'm already recovering my overhead. So any hours they're under, we split the overhead cost. So, um, and then that goes towards the bonus of that job. But if that job is not to my standards or quality, or it's not done on time, it doesn't go to their total. So then they have based on their, their um, payroll, there's a certain amount of revenue they have to hit. And at the end of the year, those jobs that they're over that revenue, again, we split the, um, the overhead on those because we've already recovered in our, in our budget. So, so, I mean, yeah, there's some years they get big bonuses and there's some years that they're, they're lower, but it's it, every job that they're on, they see the hours that are required. They see the hours that they do it on and they see their, and we have a spreadsheet where we keep track of it. And we say, Hey, Here's this month. Here's how many hours you were under on these jobs. Here's the total hours, and here's what you're gonna get. And with that, do you do you pay bonus like after completion of a project, or each quarter, or at the end of the year? How do you go about that? We do it. We do it monthly. So at the end of every month, we tried at the end of every year, but it's like the guys are always, "Hey, where's what's going on with this job?" And and I'm like, I get it. So we we changed it two years ago to monthly every month, and um. They like it a lot better, but, um, and then I also do at the end of the year, depending on how the year went, I, you know, we have a, uh, a profit sharing with, with the higher guy, like, like my form that's been with me for that long. So we have a percentage and they can get so many percent, um, that it's capped at after so long, but they want to know there's a future and, and they want to know that it's, they're working towards something more than just on, on Friday, I get a paycheck and you got to create that atmosphere in your company to keep those good key guys. Like we offer health insurance to them. So some of those guys, they get health insurance um, when they're full-time. That's, that's awesome. I, I do want to get into, I guess, turning the page a little bit and getting into uh, talking about sales when a client comes in and contacts infinity. Um, these days, when a client emails you, calls you, texts you, whatever they, they do, uh, who, who's answering that? And where do you take that? Where, how do you find out if they may be a good fit or not for infinity? So, yeah, we have, when it comes into the office, um, Gina's in our office, she's our office administrator. She takes all the calls and she goes through a checklist with them. Um, uh, we refer them to our website. You know, there's a, a budgeting section of the website for, for our hardscape projects and some other projects, just so people can get an idea of where they're at. Cause there's a lot of them where, where, you know, they, they want the world and they got a budget that's 10 grand and they want 80 grand worth of work. And, and you just gotta vet those people a little bit. So it, it comes in, she takes the basic information, gets plata surveys, gets, you know, anything we need for permitting stuff. And, and t- the biggest thing is if they, if they can't provide a plata survey, we know they're not very serious with the project. And like, that's the first question we have is do you have your plan survey? Can you get it to us? And uh, they're like, Oh, just, we want to talk to somebody and see what it is. And they're like, okay, you're not really serious about a job, but yeah, there's a list of questions we have that we go through it. Um, and then once it comes into her, we put it into our CRM and then one of the salespeople pick it up. And it depends on, I normally take all the hard like the hardscape heavy projects. And um, we have a couple other salespeople that would take the, like some smaller stuff and some landscape projects. But so we, we try to put that in the system and like, I would contact them. I would ask them a couple more questions and then set up an appointment. A couple of questions that came up in my head uh, from that. And I'm just taking notes here. When, do you have a separate crew that will do those smaller projects and a separate crew that will do always do those bigger projects? And then do they bleed over into one another at any point in time during the season? 
So we have, um, yeah, we have a, we have the way our setup. We have an excavation and base crew that will come in and and dig, put all the uh, drainage in, all the the compact the soil, do the put the base, the filter fabrics, you know, or geofabric, whatever we need to put in. Um, they'll do that and they'll get the the stone base layer about to where the bedding layer needs to go in. And like if gas lines are in or electric needs to go in, they'll put all that in. And then the hardscape crew comes in and installs all the hardscapes. Um, then we have a landscape crew that will come in and do all the landscape around it. And if there's a small like retaining wall or a little, you know, pad that they need to put in, those guys can do that. But I try to have the one crew that do, just does all our hardscapes. And there's, there's four guys on that crew. Um, and they, they will, uh, I, I keep them all together because I know their quality. I, they know how we need to install things. We have checklists for, you know, processes on how to install, you know, retaining walls, fire pits, you know, grill island, every, they know what they're doing. And I've tried to build it up like an assembly line. So the, the excavation crew comes in, then the hardscape crew comes in, then the landscape crew comes in. And so those guys are equipped, their trailers are set up with the tools they need. So you're not, you're not buying multiple tools. You're not, you know, these guys are taking this from this crew and this is, they need, you know, uh, lasers for this crew. It's it, they're all set up to do what they're, they do. They know what they're doing every day and they're doing the same thing. So you're not, you don't, you know, you, you specialize that crew into what they're good at. Have you, have you found that that works really well? Has there ever been any headaches in that process or trying to, when you first implemented that separate crews that there was a headache there? There, there's some, some because like you, your excavation crew can go faster depending on the scope of the job. So there might be a job where it, you know, I tell the customer, you, you might be sitting for a week or two with that base ready before this crew gets there. And the nice thing about my excavation crew is, is I can send them back to the hardscape crew to help out a little bit. Um, if it's, you know, just laying the patio or moving brick or, um, you know, just cleaning up. So it, it they're multi-purpose in a way um the in they the the excavation crew also is very good with the the polymeric sand and the concrete edging and in in all that stuff so the hard the hardscape crew might finish and i'll send that excavation crew like if they've excavated the next patio as they flip-flop the other guys the two the crew of two will come in with the excavation they'll do the polymeric sand or the you know edging restraints on the on the existing patio so there's some scheduling stuff with that, but it's, it seemed to work out the best. Gotcha. And then uh, hiring an office person, like uh, you mentioned Gina there, what, uh, what made you want to hire that somebody like that to take over the calls and whatever, whatever administrative uh, tasks there are, is there, was there a, a certain catalyst that caused you to reach out and make this a priority or uh, what, what was the reasoning behind that? At what point did you do that? It was one of those things where I was, I was tired of doing everything. And when you're working 16 hours a day and you're missing calls and you're missing just paperwork, like the business side of things, like you still got to pay the bills. You still got to answer the phones and, um, you know, just get the, the organization done. And that was taking up so much of my time as we grew to where, you know, you can only handle so much at, at a time. And, I, I had an, I had a, actually, a, a another lady, Patty, and she worked for about four years and we built it to a certain point. And then, um, she retired and actually her friend was, was Gina and Gina came in and just took it to another level, but it's just having someone in the office that can respond instantly. Like when I'm at a job and helping or running around and people have questions or the phone's ringing, she's here to, you know, just seeing the back end of the business. And it's, it's hard to find someone to trust with that because I mean, it's your financials in some ways, it's your bills, it's your, it's your current new customers. It's, it's responding to, to emails and phone calls and, and um, just someone to handle that. But it's, it's a, it's a big move you have to make when you get to a certain point where it's just, it takes up hours of your day and you're, and you're going, okay, I'm better I'm, I'm, my, my efforts are, are better off somewhere else than not saying like not answering the phone is, is not important, but it's, it's a different, 
it's nice to have somebody that you can count on to take those phone calls, to take that other end of the business that needs to be done. And she's like, honestly, she's better at it than I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the best at, at, at that part of the business. Um, like the accounting part, I'm fine with the, the running it. I'm fine with, but the just customer service end, my, my projects or my brain works at, this is my project. This is what I'm working on. I'm going to do the best at this job. And I'll, I'll be honest. Some people will call and be like, what's your deal? Um, I, I want to use you guys for a job and I can, you know, I could barely hear from, I, I barely hear from you. And, and it was get to that point where I'm like, I'm sorry, but the current customer, the current project is my most important thing. I'm not worried about the next one, which I, everyone tells me you should be, but I would rather be 100% on what I'm doing than worrying about what's come, what could be coming in the future. It's like, this is a guarantee. This is my name on it. This is my project and it's going to be done perfectly. In the next one, when I hit that next job, you're the same way. Your job is going to be done 100%. It's going to be done perfectly and it's going to be done right. And so that's that's why I decided, hey, I need to have someone else that's that's better at this to come in and, and take on this this side of the business. It's just, it's just growing pain. You grow to a certain size and you have to make those moves. And with that being said, uh, getting into when you think that the client could be a good fit for infinity and you're scheduling that initial consultation, do you charge for that consultation? Yes or no? Why or why not? No. I, um, so one thing in our area, nobody charges. It seems like we do charge for design work, but the consultation, no. So if I come in, if you call me to a project and I come in and I, and I, I vet you and I meet with you, I try to get a little more information. You know, what's your goal here? And some people have everything written down to a T. Some people go, I have no idea what I want to do here. And you try to get, you know, there's some jobs you go, do you have a budget? And they go, no. So you go, okay. Then you start asking questions. What, what do you want to do? What do you like? Do you like a water feature? Do you like a fire feature? Do you like a kitchen? Do, do you like to cook? Do you, do you want to sit outside in the shade? Do you, do you mind the full sun? Um, you know, just different. You try to get information from them if they have no idea. And you ask them questions. Do you like to entertain? What size space do you need? You try to get an idea of what they want. And then when they go, these are the things I want. Um, I'm adding those up in my head. Okay, a fire pit. Okay, a grill island. Okay, a pergola. Uh, seating area that's about 500 square. You start adding them up. And you don't give them a number, but you give them a range. You're like, okay, are you, you're somewhere in the fifty dollars to $70,000 range. Does that work for you? And they're like, they're either like, yeah, that's okay. Or, whoa, no, no, no. I have 15 grand to spend. I'm like, okay, well, we can get you the best space for that budget. What would you like to take out? What would you like to, to do in phases? What would you like to um, concentrate on right now for that budget? And that really helps people because some of these people that have no idea how much things cost you can, before you even leave that job, you know, if, if I'm leaving that job, I'm doing a drawing and you're going to pay for that drawing, or you might need to think a little bit more about it, you know, budget a little more money, put, put more money aside for what you want and we can readdress it next year or, you know, phase it out. Hey, we can do this section this year. We can add the kitchen next year, the following year, we can add the fire pit. And then it, it works for them. So by the time I'm leaving that job, you have a good idea of what they're going to spend, if they're going to spend it. And uh, if you're going to put pen to paper, you have a deposit check for that job. And then we, we credit, if they go with us, we credit that back to them towards the job. But that's just, that's how, how our system works. Gotcha. And then uh, when it comes to uh, signing on that project, do you have a specified uh, structure for payments that's same for every job? Does it change from job to job in terms of what you're taking up front, what you're taking in progress payments and what you're leaving on the back end there? Yeah, it, it all changes um, based on the scope of the work. They can range anywhere from, you know, half down and half more done on like a you know, one day job to uh, you know, eight to 10 payments, depending on the size of the job. I, I don't like to have too much money out there. Um, I try to keep it down to like a, you know, five to 10 grand at a time range. 
of where you're not handing the customer an invoice for $40,000 and they got, Oh geez, I gotta, I gotta move money or I gotta sell stock or do, do you know, you don't, you don't want to shock them with that. You want to give them easy, easier payments. And if that's, if that's a payment every other day, that's just what it is. But yeah, so we have different tiers of size and scope of job and amount of payments. And then when you're actually sending out a proposal, uh, what do you typically uh, structure your proposals as? Do you go by work area, line item, or just a lump sum what the what the actual project's going to cost? We do. I try to separate it out in work areas. Again, it's kind of what the customer prefers in a way. Like if I'm doing something that they're, they might think about phasing out, I'll try to do it in work areas. If it's, hey, this is what I want, it's typically a, a lot. It has an itemized list of materials when we're done because you're, you're paying for that. You pay for the drawing, you pay for the, the, uh, the materials, you pay for the proposal. And to me, some people disagree with that. Some people agree with it. I just think, Hey, if I'm doing your job, you want to know what I'm putting into it. You want to know, you don't want patio 50,000. 50, it's like, well, what is this? You get how much stone we're putting in, what kind of filter fabric we're putting in drainage. You have an itemized list that you know what's going into your job. And then what I want to ask you after that uh, is if you have a horror story from your time in business there. And uh, I ask you this after talking about money and payments, because sometimes that's typically what the horror story might be. But the reason why I ask horror stories is to help those listening in that are just starting out in business, what could happen, and maybe even put things in place uh, to reduce the likelihood of those happening. But uh, Scott, do you have a horror story from your time in business that you'd want to share? I did. I tried to think of one. Um, I don't have any big horror stories. I've been pretty lucky, but I'll tell you this. The biggest thing is having a contract in place. And this might be back to when I started the original, uh, that one big project. I remember, and I, I got lucky again, my, my, my best friend, and I was actually his best man at his wedding is a contract lawyer. And his, we were sitting at his dad's house and I told him about this project. And this is, you know, 2010, I was what, 22 years old or something, 23. I should do the math actually. <laughs> but anyways, I, it was back then. And, and, um, I, he, t he heard about it and he goes, do you have a contract? And I go, no, I just have an itemized list on, you know, QuickBooks. And he, and he goes, okay. It was a Sunday. He went into his office at his house and we were doing, we were doing something with his car. We were putting a supercharger in his car. I don't know what it was on my buddy's car. And before I left, his dad walked out and he handed me a flash drive and he goes, he goes, attach this to every single contract you sign for now. And he goes, you're not small cutting grass anymore. This is big time. And ever since then, I have attached that to every single contract. And it is, it, there's been two, two times I know of it saved me, um, where the guy, it was like, I'm not paying you. And I went, well, here's the contract you signed and you can either pay me or we're going to court and you're paying attorney fees on top of it because I've done everything that I said I would in this contract. It to the That's a big thing. If you're, when you do something, do exactly what you're going to say, do what your contract says. And that's why I like to specify things out too, is the detail. There's no real gray area. When you write your contracts and you have an itemized list and you go, I'm using this grill or I'm using, you know, this brick, that's the color you signed on. And the customer, I hate this color. That's fine, but that's the color you signed. So I can change it for you. I will do whatever it takes to make you happy, but there's an extra cost on this. If I got to pull all this brick up and put it back down, your contract saves you so much. And I've, I have many friends in the industry that, that have had that happen to them and they've lost big time. So they, they've had big, big hits. They've, they've, had a uh what do you want to call it a, a a very expensive learning lesson and i i mean that i not seeing that now when it was happening i was like yeah okay i'll attach it whatever but i remember even two two years ago when my salesperson came up to me and they said hey this guy's an attorney and he doesn't like this this line of the contract. And I, I read it and I'm like, that's, he wants me to remove this section of the contract, which says, if you don't pay me, I cannot take you to court and you have to pay my attorney fees and cover me. And I'm like, you're not, we're not doing work for this guy. And it was, it was that quick. And so just having a contracts in place, having 
um, itemized lists of what you're doing and doing what you're saying is will save you a lot of those horror stories. Absolutely. That's, that's great advice there. And, uh, with that being said, I do like to ask this to everybody and feel free to take this wherever you want, but, uh, equipment tools, installation practices that you live by at infinity. Uh, what are some things that, uh, really helped you out in growing your business, things that you live by in your business. So that could be, uh, tools, equipment, installation practices, whatever you kind of want to touch on there. Yeah. Um, Installation process is huge. I tell everybody, everyone that does a, a patio or, or a hardscape project with us, I, the most important part you'll never see it. The base, the base of the project, the foundation of the project is the most important and you'll never see it. And, and there's, there's pro, like we just did one yesterday and the guys dug it. I said, Hey, this is a new house install. You know that they excavated for that foundation we're going to have to use our, our soil compactors, our jumpers along that foundation, go extra long on that, go five feet out, uh, pack. We take three inch stone. We pack it into that base to amend that soil. We're very clay soil. Um, we're South Chicago area. So you have a lot of clay and we, we pack in the, the, that three inch stone into that soil. If it's, if it's, um, you know, spongy. We do, we have the skid steers. I, I usually have the guys, they'll drive the skid steers over the soil before we even lay our five ounce, you know, fabric and start our base. So I know before we even start our stone base that there's uh that the soil under it is solid. And um, with that, we use all clear, um, clear base, like a permeable base installation. It's all three quarter clear and then three ace chip is the bedding layer. We always put a drain in there. So if water ever gets in there, it has a way to get escape. Um, driveways, we use drive grid. Um, you know, walls will use geo grid. It's just do the things right. Doing everything we do is above industry standards and it allows our, our projects to stand the test of time. And, and yes, we have a few issues that you got to go back and fix, but you go back and fix them right away. Anyone that tells you they never have is, is, you know, not telling you the truth, but, um, all we have, a we have a whole process that all the guys follow on, on the installation processes and then having the right equipment. Um, you it's, it's harder and harder to find good guys and the good guys want good equipment. They want to know that their, you know, their back's not going to hurt the next day. I, I was in the Russo actually, it's a equipment place. And this was years ago. I was, I was renting a machine and one guy I, I ran into there and he goes, why don't you just get like five or six guys and dig that patio? I'm like, because I could put one guy on a ditch, witch, and I can have him dig that entire patio by lunchtime. And he will be able to put in stone tomorrow. He'll be able to put in base what you know he'll be able to work and he's not dead i can put those five guys on it spend probably more money digging that patio it'll take me all day and they won't be they'll be worthless tomorrow so using equipment to save your guys to to um be more efficient is is key um like i said last year seeing seeing some of these guys on instagram like uh, andy Mulder and, and uh, jeremy from from j squared and and you know some of these guys you're, you're seeing using these end cons and just equipment, just amazing what they can do. And, and we've been looking at them for a little over a year and we picked one up last year and it's, it's a game changer. It's just having the right equipment, um, doing the jobs makes it easier, more efficient and saves your guys. You could do more work with less guys and the guys that are doing the work can work the same speed all day. They can work the same speed the next day. They're not calling you going, my back hurts. I can't come in, you know, tomorrow. And, and you're just taking care. That's another thing, taking care of your guys with equipment. I just want to take a break from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Cycle CPA. You may have a CRM or project management software in place, but what data are you using to ensure your estimating is accurate? Having a proper accounting setup and accurate bookkeeping done is key to understanding overhead expenses and other costs that must be recouped in your estimates. Cycle CPA is a remote bookkeeping and CFO firm that helps to connect the dots from the financial reports to the hardscape and landscape data 
needed in order to reach high profits. They provide landscape and hardscape industry benchmarking, job costing financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA's team of accountants are specialized within the hardscape and landscape industry, and you can visit them at cyclecpa.com and for $200 off, mention the How to Hardscape podcast. Now back to our episode. Any any uh, new tools, equipment, uh, anything in the pipeline that you're wanting to invest into next for the guys or that they've even brought up to you? Uh, or are you fairly comfortable with where you're at and the guys are comfortable with what they have? Um, like I said, the last three, four years, we've pretty much acquired most of all the equipment we want. I do want some more like a Trimble. Um, I'm looking into that. A little more computerized stuff for the excavation and installation processes. Uh, we are looking for another dump truck. We need a bigger, a bigger truck to move more material. We, we have a, a few, but I'm like, it's time to get a six wheeler or something a little bigger. Um, but that's the next thing in the pipeline. It's just a few little things here and there, but um, we got a couple, we got a ditch, witch last year. And like I said, it's a, we got a 60 G with the Encon last year. Uh, waited a long time for that. So like everything nowadays, <laughs> yeah. right? Equipment. But yeah, so those, those were the big, the big ticket items. Now it's just like the little things to, to, to like the finished details on, on things. So. Gotcha. So then uh, I want to ask you anybody that you'd want to give a shout out here on the podcast, anybody that's helped you uh, through starting your business to the point where you're at today, anybody that you look to for inspiration, uh, anybody that's helped you along the way, whether that's online, offline, uh, anybody that you want to give a shout out here. Yeah. I mean, like, like I think I mentioned earlier, some of those guys that um, I was down to H and A in, in, in Kentucky and, and met quite a few good guys, um, you know, Andy Mulder and, in uh, Craig Scheller down there. Um, I met Dan, uh, Preston, uh, actually a couple of weeks ago and just really a nice guy to talk to and down to earth. And I'll be honest, like I, when I first started, I thought this was a competition and, and don't talk to anybody, don't tell them anything. And, and everybody is against everybody else. And it was like, once I got out of that mindset of, you know, discussing projects with people, discussing your, the way you do things, how you do things that changed the business too. Is is some people that have that mindset of, I'm not going to tell you anything is wrong. And in our industry, hardscaping, especially you want as much information as you can. And there's enough work out there for everybody to, you know, thrive And it's education. It's information is key. And, um, yeah, like Andy Mulder is a great guy. I, I met him down there and I remember I could not get a hold of these NCON guys and I needed an attachment. I called them for a month and I, I sent Andy a, a message and I go, hey, I can't get a hold of these guys. Within an hour, I had an NCON guy calling me going, what do you need? And it's just like knowing those people. And before I probably was the person that I'd be like, I'm not talking to you because you're a competitor. And it's just expanding that network of people like yes like craig Scheller out there hey you're doing you're doing this project um you're doing this project with this stone or this um porcelain tile how do you you know how'd you make these cuts or how'd you do this or what saw blade do you use or you know just information across the country on on different things hey uh, how do you like um when we were talking about doing the uh the excavation crew like i said i talked to uh, evan out at pride and Evan's like, I did that. And it's the greatest thing I've ever done. And so it's like those guys is, is you would used, I used to see them as competition and it actually builds your business to, to meet with people and talk to them. Absolutely. And uh, Scott, one last question to end things off here, but it's a big one. Uh, I want to ask you, what is one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very beginning? This can be personal related. This can be business related, wherever you want to go with it. But what's that one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very beginning? Uh, I would say know your worth. Know that like being a business owner, sometimes you think it's my business. I don't have to charge for my time. I don't have to. It it's a, it's, you just get me with everything else. And I mean, there'd be times I, I'll be telling you five, six years straight, I would work with the crews and then I would go back to the office and I would sit there till two, three in the morning. Um, and then I'd be up at six again working and I never charged for that. I never, 
I never valued my time. I just thought, oh, it's, it's the cost of doing business. And knowing your numbers, knowing what you're worth, knowing what your time's worth. And yeah, during that time I was in college and you got out of college and you, you know, you date people, you start a family, all that stuff changes as you grow. And if you're going to sacrifice your personal time and your well-being and your stress levels, you got to be either compensated for it or you got to realize what's most important to you. And you, cause you gotta, you gotta be sane. You gotta have a life in a way and you got to have that time off, which when I was growing it, I never, I would say value, like my hobby was my business. And it came down to the point where I had no life. I didn't, I missed out on things, you know, family events or friend events or just whatever it was. It was like, I let the business control. And it was, it was up to a point um, where it all changed when you, you have that first kid or that my son, I had my son. And um, it was like, wow, there's, there's more to life than just working. And what's my time worth? What is, what am I doing? So it's, I went off on a tangent there, but um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things like just know your worth and know your numbers and, and stick to it. Stick to what, you know, stick to what your, your, uh, your, I guess your, your goals and in your ethics and your, Great, excellent advice there to end things off here. And a great way to end the episode. Scott, thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you so much for your time for this. Uh, where can our audience go to find out more about you, what you got going on there? Where do you want to send them to? We got our, our website, um, infinitylawnandlandscape.com. We got our Instagram, Infinity Lawn and Landscaping. Um, yeah, we got our, our just online presence. Um, I think that's about it. Awesome. Go check them out on Instagram there. That's Infinity Lawn and Landscaping, right? I-N-G at the end there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much for your time here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Really appreciate you all tuning in to our podcast each and every week. If you haven't already, we would really appreciate a five-star rating and review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you can do both of those there. And our sponsor, Cycle CPA. If you need bookkeeping, accounting, CFO services, reach out to Cycle CPA, cyclecpa.com. Let them know how to Hardscape sent you for $200 off their services. And a big thanks to GPS Tracking. If you need GPS tracking for your work vehicles and equipment, reach out to GPS Track It at gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape. And we look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.